Dear Christian friends, heirs of the, the Reformation, living in the grace of God, it's kind of funny when you stop and think about how much our lives are geared around comfort. Think of how clothes and shoemakers advertise to you, right? I mean, we want the stylish, but we also definitely want comfort. Pillows, mattresses, sheets, couches. How, how do they get you to buy them? It looks good and it's comfortable, right? We've also got Amazon and we've got on demand and we've got streaming and we've got all the music and movies and, and TV we could possibly imagine at the, the touch of a button so that we don't even have to leave the comfort of our home to go and rent a movie or to go and buy things. They just come to us now. And if someone were to ask you your income, it, the, maybe the phrase is a little bit past its prime, but you might have said, you know what, it'd be nice to have more, but, but we're comfortable. In many ways, life today has become about being comfortable. And that's not an all bad thing, right? The Bible often talks about comfort. If, if you've read through the book of Isaiah, if you've been through the, the Bible readings that often lead up to Christmas, there's a verse in there where God says through the prophet Isaiah, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Or if you turn to the, the book of 2 Corinthians, the very first chapter, right after Paul identifies himself and says who he's writing to in this greeting, grace and peace to you, the next five verses use the word comfort nine times. In fact, I'd like to show you how it begins. It begins in verse 3, and it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God is the source of comfort. And actually, that's our, our first takeaway this morning. If you're filling in the blanks, it's that God is the true source of real comfort. It's important to understand, though, when God talks about comfort, what does he mean? Because he doesn't often mean necessarily the life of, of ease that we would like. He doesn't necessarily talk about making us comfortable. Instead, he promises us comfort. And, and you see that if you look back at that verse from 2 Corinthians 3, right? The God of all comfort. And look at what comes after that. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can then comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See, God's goal in comforting us is not to make life just super duper easy. That's not his goal. His goal is that when we face difficulty, when we face hardship, when we face suffering, he promises comfort. He promises that, that we can have confidence and certainty and hope in his promises. That's an important distinction to make and to have right in our hearts and in our minds. It's one that's been a, a challenge for Christians for thousands of years. In fact, if you go back and you read through the Old Testament, you find many of the same people struggling the same as we do today, just with different technology, different ways of life, different cultures, but, but the same struggle, right? 
that we want, the, the temptation, I want to feel comfortable. But in doing so, it often leads to temptation to just be comfortable without God. Over 600 years before Jesus was born, God's people had become exceedingly comfortable. And they had gotten to the point where their worship was just doing this. It was just flapping their gums, moving their lips, and their hearts, they were somewhere else. Their hearts weren't in worship. Their hearts weren't meditating, praying, learning, growing. In fact, sometimes those same people's hearts were going down the street a different day or even later that day to a a, a temple set up to an idol. They were going up to the hill where there was a statue that they would then bow down and pray to that one too. They were covering all their bases because they weren't looking to God for comfort. They were perfectly comfortable all on their own. Thank you very much. God was deeply concerned about his people. Life was easy. That wasn't their problem. In fact, it was, if anything, too easy. And God sent messenger after messenger, prophet after prophet, to call his people back to him to warn them about the danger of their spiritual laziness and even unbelief. And messenger after messenger, God's people rejected and turned away and and had no time for God's prophets. And so God sent a different kind of messenger. It was the Babylonian army under the power of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful king of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar and his army came in and made short work of God's people. And after they were conquered the first time in 605 B.C., they took about 11,000 people back to Babylon. And in general, this was the, the upper class, the nobility, the royalty, the best, the brightest. Many of those people were allowed to kind of settle and, and keep some of their own language and some of their own religion and some of their own culture. But there were a few who were taken to the palace and they were trained to be, ser- to be in service to the Babylonian government. And four of those men are explicitly identified in the book of Daniel. Their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now those four men were pushed far outside of their comfort zone. They were taken to a different country to live. They were, they were forced to cut their hair, to wear different clothing. They had to learn a different language and read different literature and different cultures and customs. And not only that, but they couldn't even keep their names. Those Hebrew names, oh, no, 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 those are no longer your names. Now you are in service to the Babylonian government, and you have Babylon names, Babylonian names. And so their names were Daniel was known as Belteshazzar. Hananiah became known as Shadrach. Mishael became known as Meshach, and Azariah became known as Abednego. Those men were forced to live far outside of their comfort zone, and yet they were never without comfort because they remembered, they held on to and trusted in the source of comfort, the one true God. Now, after three years of training, God blessed them. He blessed them greatly as they studied, as they learned. He blessed them with knowledge and wisdom. And after three years, they were presented to the king with this whole group of other people to determine who is going to be in service to the the kingdom of Babylon. 
and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they so impressed and distinguished themselves. In fact, the verse in, in Daniel chapter 1 says they were 10 times wiser than any Babylonian advisor. And the king said, holy cow, I want those guys. And he put them in positions of authority. And, and after another incident, shortly after this, it ended up that Daniel was elevated to one of the highest positions in all of the Babylonian government. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all administrators in the province of Babylon. Things were good. And then Daniel chapter 3 begins as King Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue out of gold that's 90 feet tall. And this statue is supposed to be bowed down to and worshipped by everyone. And in order to, to kick off the celebration, all of the government officials are to gather. And when the music begins to play, well, now you bow down and you worship. And if you don't, there's a hot furnace over here that's just waiting for you. That's where it gets messy, doesn't it? Pretty uncomfortable for those three men. Because things are going well, right? They, they've done what they need to do to fit in, to acclimate, to assimilate into this new culture, this new world. They've, they've worked hard. They've used the gifts God has given them. They've got these nice positions in government. Things are going well. Life is easy. The question is, have they become comfortable? You know how that goes, right? You move. You get a new job. You make some new friends. You come to a new church. Maybe just life is kind of turbulent and chaotic for a while, and finally, things start to settle out, right? And as they do, you begin to become comfortable. And that's not all bad. But when we become comfortable in earthly things, well, there is temptation alongside of it, isn't there? That the new church that we were really excited about, well, our excitement and passion and zeal has kind of faded, and now it's just another thing to do. And the new friend we made, oh, that was great, but that new friend now is, is leading us into things that we know just, that's not what's best for my life, and maybe that's even just wrong. And the new job, well, there's people at my new job that I've gotten to know, and they are very comfortable saying things and, and speaking openly about topics that not only are offensive to me, but they're offensive to God. And, and after such a, a chaotic time, I just want to be comfortable. What do you do? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were faced with this situation, right? And it would have been easy for, you know, as they, as they gathered around this giant statue to, oh, 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 sorry, I didn't mean to stumble. There we go. I did what I was supposed to do, right? I fell. I fell. And I looked like I did what I needed to do, but I didn't really do it, and I'm okay with God. They probably also could have rationalized that in their hearts, in their minds, that we can, we can bow on our knees, we can go through the physical act, but we are not actually worshiping that God, and God, you know this. 
They could have rationalized and legitimized in their minds and in their hearts that, you know what, we can serve God better and in bigger and more ways with our positions of authority in the government. There were all kinds of, of temptations to just do what needed to be done, to go along, to get along, to not make waves. But that's not what they did. They gave up being comfortable for God. And they said, sorry guys, we, we can't do this. And, and the king said, no one can save you from my hand. You better do what I say. And look at what their response is in Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. These three men, they were okay with having their hair cut. They were okay with wearing different clothes and speaking a different language and, and having a new name given to them. They were okay with the culture and the customs, all the external things, but they were not okay when it came to their faith and when it came to their God. There, they were not willing to compromise. And they drew the line. Because they remembered a really important point, and it's something that I pray you remember as well. It's our second takeaway this morning, that the goal of my life is not to live comfortably, but to glorify God. Those men were not being disrespectful to the king, right? They, they re replied with terms of respect, but they also said, hey, very clearly, there's a pecking order in our hearts and in our lives King, you're, you're way up there, but you're not at the top. There's someone above you, and it's our God. And we serve him before you and before anyone else. And they trusted, right? They trusted God could save them. Even from this fiery furnace, they trusted that God could do anything. And they also, though, knew God might not choose to save us physically in this situation, but even if he chooses not to, he will save us eternally. How do you think that went over? Take a look. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar's temper, woof, and he says, with my temper goes the furnace, woof. This furnace that is already made to kill, that's its purpose, is now superheated. These guys are going to die, and I'm really, I'm going to kill them until they're dead, right? He is ticked, and he has some of his strongest soldiers, his best warriors, tie these guys up. And that kind of backfires, doesn't it? Because the fire is so hot that as they push Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, the fire is so hot that it actually kills these soldiers. 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fully clothed and tied up, fall into the fire. Look what comes next. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. God not only did what God does, he protected these three men. He sent an angel to protect them like he promises to do for, his, uh, for believers. But look what else he did. He let that angel be seen. And not just by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but, but even by unbelieving Nebuchadnezzar and all of those around him. And the impact on Nebuchadnezzar, we'll take a look, verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. See, Nebuchadnezzar now knew, didn't he? He knew well. His boastful claim that no one can save you from me, I'm the most powerful ruler on earth, well, that wasn't true. He may have been the most powerful human on earth at the time, but there was still nothing compared to God. And he knew it. He knew the power of God, and he knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had trusted in that power, had trusted in that God. And look what God had done. They took their comfort from their God, that he's a God who saves even unbelieving Nebuchadnezzar got that, didn't he? And I pray that it's something that you remember as well. It's our, our third takeaway this morning, that this is what our comfort is. My comfort is that my God saves. See, notice it wasn't just that these guys came out of the fire and <coughs> coughing up smoke, hair smoking, right? Still a little fire on the clothes, not even a smell of smoke. God had, had thoroughly, completely protected them in, in miraculous ways. They trusted that God could and even that he would save. Now, that might seem like an isolated incident. It's not. There are a few others in the, in the account or in the, throughout the pages of Scripture in the Bible. This is perhaps one of the most stark and clear. And if you read through the books of history, well, you might find a few, but probably not many. Because that's not really what history is looking to record. But there is an account in the pages of history that took place about 500 years ago. A man named Martin Luther who who started what we now call the Lutheran Reformation. That was not his goal, however. His goal 
was to find comfort. See, Luther only knew a God who was angry, who was angry and kept a record of all of his wrongs and was just waiting for you to show up before him so that he could judge you. But as he began to study the scriptures, Luther found a very different God. He found a God who saves. He found a God who sent his son to pay with his own blood for the sins of the world. He found a God who credits perfection to those who trust in him. He found a God of of grace, of undeserved love, of mercy for sinners. And Luther, that comfort set his heart free. And he wanted to share that comfort. He wanted everyone to know the good news that Jesus is the Savior and to know what that means, that God saves. But there was a problem. That wasn't necessarily the message that the Catholic Church, uh, the the church in, in power at the time wanted taught. And they tried to silence Luther. And finally, it got to the point where they, along with their ally, the the most powerful ruler on earth, again, at the time, the emperor of Europe, Holy Roman Emperor, put him on trial. And they gave him two options. You can stop teaching and preaching, and you can take back everything you've written, including that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, found in Scripture alone. And you can keep your comfortable life as a teacher in Wittenberg and your family and your home, or door number two, you'll be declared an outlaw. And as an outlaw, there's a bounty on your head, and that bounty can be collected dead or alive. And after praying overnight for help and for strength and for comfort, Luther went and stood before the court and replied much the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And he said, there's there's one supreme authority in my heart, and I must answer to it. And I trust in my God. And I can't go against my God. And so he was declared an outlaw, and yet God, in his grace, spared him, saved him physically, not just spiritually, and used him to share the message of Jesus, the gospel, with generations still through today. Now, you might think and hope that you and I will never be put on the stand before a president or governor or even a mayor. And thank God for that. And I pray that we're never on trial for our faith, and certainly not to the point where it's either your faith or death. But don't allow the comfortable life that God has blessed you with to pour some water on the fire of your faith. God has given you, you and me, so many blessings. And life can be so comfortable at times. And when it is, we tend to forget that I need my God. Day in and day out. And so God allows life to become uncomfortable sometimes. He allows pain and hardship and difficulty. He allows pressure from others to try to influence us so that we turn to him, we hold to him, we cling to him for comfort. And there's a reason for that. 
See, there's a reason why in the, in the worst difficulty you and I face, we can always have comfort. It's because of Jesus. See, Jesus faced difficulty and hardship and suffering and trials and temptations all throughout his life. He faced intense pressure from enemies and from friends. But Jesus faced something that you and I never will. He was abandoned. In the middle of the, the absolute worst time of his earthly life, God abandoned him. When he was on the cross and he was suffering the wrath of God for sin, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you see, Jesus was abandoned by God so that you and I never are. So that we have comfort forever. And God wants us to remember that, to know that, to cling to that, to live that comfort that he has saved you and me because he's going to put you and I in situations that are uncomfortable. And there are going to be people who, who are looking for comfort. I mean, some of the most uncomfortable situations in our world today is not just pressure to cave on moral issues. It's when someone comes up to you and you, maybe you don't even know them very well, somebody at work and says, I just found out I have cancer. I'm really sorry to hear that. What do you say? Oh, that stinks. Your friend, your neighbor comes and knocks on the door and says, my husband just had a heart attack. Oh, can I bring you dinner? Right? We, we feel uncomfortable in those moments. And God allows us to be in uncomfortable situations for people who are looking for help and who are hurting because you have comfort. And that's our last takeaway this morning, that God wants you and he wants me to trust him for comfort and then to share the comfort he gives because he's going to allow your life to be uncomfortable, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does and he loves the people around you and he wants you to share the comfort you have that your God saves. God bless your efforts trusting, clinging, holding on to him through the ups and downs of life to not become so comfortable that I lose sight and I, I fail to hold on to my God. And God bless your efforts then to share his comfort. Amen. May the peace of our God, which goes beyond our human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Jesus. Amen.